All right. Okay. We okay now? Good. All right. Hey, uh, started a series called What is a Man uh, in January, and uh, first month we talked about some of the biblical bases for, for uh, that topic, and uh, last month we started to talk about boys becoming men. Uh, we're going to continue with that today. Last month uh, we talked about the fact that uh, there are differences. Boys and girls are differences. Different. Big surprise. Uh, and some of those differences persist throughout life, and hopefully that's not in debate. In real life, though, there are other things that affect our relationships, and it gets complicated really quickly. Uh, there are relationships between father and son, and uh, mother and son, father and daughter, mother and daughter, uh, brother, sister, brother and brother, sister and sister, and then you've got halves and steps, siblings, and it gets kind of mixed up. And you add to that then in life uh, other things like numbers and birth order and, and all that. And then finally, people outside the family, and then boys and girls. So what do we want to do today is explore in the simplest way possible how boys are to relate to females, which I think we can say is a basic necessity, okay? So this is going to be applicable to all, not just boys, uh, so please don't tune out. Uh, uh, we can also generally say that as heads of households, husbands and fathers have the responsibility to know the state of their flock. And we also know that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So if there are relational problems within a family, one or more of the family members is not in fellowship with God. And those relational problems are usually pretty evident. Some problems may just be momentary squabbles between otherwise loving sibs. But on the other hand, it could be a, the son's blatant disrespect for his mom or even pushing his sister down in anger. Uh, figuring out the root causes of those divides is sometimes much more difficult. So what we start with is the basic command of the law. Honor your mother and your father that your days may be long, Exodus 20. And Paul repeats that in Ephesians 6. He said, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now notice that the command is not to just honor and respect your chill or your authoritarian father only, but the mother as well. Not all mothers and fathers really earn respect, but the command tells us that we are to start with honor as best we can. Equal respect is due to both, at the very least, in the global sense, which is a term we'll define later. Of course, this command is given to sons and daughters, but the reality of immaturity calls for training to the command by parents. Dad is responsible for that training program, but mom is the one who finds herself in hand-to-hand -hand combat with sons on a daily basis. 
Part of the training is for dad to help mom understand growing males. Now, she may have may or may not have grown up in a family with brothers or even a father in her childhood home. Uh, but if she did, she may not have had the best example, or she may view manhood by a skewed perspective from her neg- negative experience. Uh, she may even go to, into marriage thinking that it's quite normal for males to act as tyrants or to passively sit in the background while mom runs the show. Uh, Both moms and dads have to figure out how to parent, but when a mom parents a growing boy, there's often a natural tension between these two. Like a dad, mom can go to one or the other extreme. Some moms, particularly those with more stress, might tend to to become bossy with their sons. And to clarify now, just to make sure you understand, it's certainly apropos when a defiant little boy demands a reason why he must pick up his room for a mom carrying a basket and a baby on her hips to say, because I'm the mother. And dad needs to back her up on that. I only had two sisters, two older sisters, so I really didn't understand this fully when Christy and I started with three boys, but it soon became really, really clear. As a boy grows older, a stressed out mom may start to order her son around with a critical or a harsh spirit that can demean or emasculate her son. We've all had the really unpleasant and uncomfortable experiencing of witnessing a mom, perhaps with two or three in tow, cursing her son out loud in the aisle at Walmart. Uh, and, we, and we think, if that happens in public, what is happening in the home? Uh, the result of a domineering mother can be either utter contempt or even the development of effeminacy in a growing male. On the other hand, moms can slide into being so kind and loving that they tolerate all, tolerate all kinds of abuse and they fail to require anything of their son. This is the route to a mama's boy. A boy who always gets his way and is coddled by his mother will lead to either a demanding self-centered child or again an effeminate one or both. A wise father will help mother to understand that boys need respect, which means that parents should expect the same in return from their son. It goes both ways. Another closely related thing for dad to help mom to understand is the way that the son learns to handle his immature passions will generally be the way he will learn to handle his adult passions. If he learns that self-control is a bother to in temperament, food and drink, uh, schoolwork, how he spends his time, he will likely lack that self-control when the hormones awaken to bring sexual temptation. When that lack of self-control and discipline is tolerated by the mother or the father, a mother or grandmother even can unintentionally train the boy to mistreat girls and even his future wife. Of course, a good mom wants to show her love through action, like preparing a good breakfast. But she does her son a disfavor when she goes back into the kitchen after he failed to show up when the rest of the family ate breakfast together just because he didn't feel like getting up. Uh, If the boy's room is messy, a mom reinforces this bad habit if she picks it up 
after he goes off to school or to play. Another problem that can sneak up on parents, and moms in particular, are empty warnings of ambiguous future punishment. So mom asked little Johnny, I don't know why we pick on Johnny. We had a Johnny and our kids, also, that's the same thing. We're always picking on Johnny. But she asked him to do and he, something and he defiantly refuses. She requests again and he disobeys or he whines and then, she, and then it continues uh, and he won't listen. Uh, and then not getting, wanting to get into it, she says, if you don't, if you don't obey, there's going to be something that follows. There's something's going to happen. And it goes back and forth until mom finally blows up at him. But because she has a greater sense of responsibility and a conscience about her eruption than Johnny has about his disobedience, she goes to him in to seek forgiveness. And out of the goodness of his little heart, he lets her off the hook and smiles internally knowing that he's just won another battle. And to clarify, it's never good to get angry while instructing or disciplining your children. And if a parent does, it is important to exemplify repentance and humility by seeking forgiveness, something I've had to do a number of times and I'm sure I failed to do a number of times. However, how did mom get to that point? Well, in the Growing Kids God's Lay class that you just heard about, you may hear that this type of mother is a threatening, repeating parent. Little Johnny knows that the threatened consequence for his crimes is not forthcoming until a certain decibel level is reached. And this type of parenting sets little Johnny up for not a small amount of trouble in dealing with all authority in other contexts, uh, even in adult adulthood. I believe what you would also learn through taking the Growing Kids class is that the way to avoid this downward spiral is a thing called first-time obedience. Unless there's a serious cognitive issue involved here, after initial instruction, when mom makes a request or refuses to grant a demand, any disobedience or further demand is met not with a threat of future punishment, rather with the actual consequence. That way, little Johnny knows that mom means it the first time. And she is not driven to rage and then waving the white flag of repentance. Now, if you have questions about this particular problem here, please talk to Sean and Tanya about the class, all right? You know, a mom's relationship with her son is really important because he is God's gift to her and she to him. Solomon explains, though, in the Proverbs that at best, a foolish son brings maternal grief. At worst, Solomon says, a foolish son despises his mother. Again, a wise husband is going to be alert to any tension between the mom and the son. The husband can be a great, be a great mentor to help mom understand what makes boys tick, just like a mom can mentor dad on how girls think, which is, I think, a very different thought process than males have. Dad must make clear that his son is to respect his mother. And if that does not happen by school age, mom will probably suffer through the teen years immensely. Now, because of the way that they're wired by God, moms often compensate for a poor relationship with an older child through attempts at emotional connection. 
she may view any sort of communication by a 13-year-old beyond an affirmative or a negative grunt as a great success and reward him by overlooking his transgressions. Uh, so she can feel connected. Now, this might be described as killing him softly. Kindness talks and emotional connection are great, but not at the expense of ignoring his misdemeanors. Uh, in reality, he is learning to manipulate his mother, which is a lesson her future daughter-in-law may not really appreciate. You know, toughness and gentleness seem to be opposites, but they're actually complementary. The respect of a son for his mother derives from him first learning to be tough. Now, what do I mean by that? Because for a boy to be respectful and tender to his mother or any female, he must have a foundation of masculine toughness, which equates to self-sacrifice, self-denial, humility, and eventually gentleness. This toughness is not machismo. Rather, it is learning that his masculinity has as its purpose the protection of others, especially females, and people who are vulnerable. In other words, putting himself behind others. He must understand that respect is earned, it's not demanded. Any male sensitivity without that core toughness is disingenuous, pathetic, and therefore unmanly. A male who has not learned when knocked down to get back up and stay the course, who, to, to put others before himself, who has never been humbled, cannot become a true gentleman. A teen son who finds himself bigger and stronger than his mother must never look down on her, but rather he must be taught to render honor and respect for her because of her sacrifice for him, not to mention the basic biblical command. Now, this will train him to treat first his sisters and then all other women with respect and honor as a gentleman. Moms and dads must work together to develop this toughness and gentleness. So, moms should avoid becoming bossy or lenient to the point of indulgence. If her, if her son does not show due, due respect and honor, she needs to get the husband involved immediately to figure out how to work towards the fulfillment of the commandment to honor mom and consequently sisters and other girls as he grows and eventually his own spouse. Now, I am told that as a little boy, I do not remember this, but I'm told that I was called precious. Now, if my mom had a fault, it would be leaning too much to the side of leniency with me. Uh, her name was Marcella, and she was known as Merciful Marcy in the family. Now, I cannot blame her, but I've, so I've said before that as I was growing up, I found myself in police custody three times. Uh, and on the other hand, on the other hand, mom had her limits. One day, as a snotty preteen, I threw a bad word that I picked up at school at her, and she grabbed me by the scruff of the neck, marched me into this small bathroom in the back, and thrust a bar of soap into my mouth. And you know, I did not die. 
But I had never allowed those words to come from my mouth in her presence again. I want to talk about manners. You remember that word? Manners are another important area in which growing boys' relationship with moms and sisters is involved. This is a challenge for boys as they tend to seek respect in strange ways. Uh, it can resemble a competition between boys, younger boys, as to who is most adept at making girls say, ooh. A boy may think he can show masculinity by his interest in spiders and snakes, but they also use belching and flatulence, not the stuff of good manners. But the topic of manners has developed a bad rep uh, within boydom. When someone suggests that boys need to learn manners, many of them conclude that the instruction is intended to make them into sissies. And newspaper columns uh, uh, headed by Miss Manners don't help the cause. But manners are a means of disciplining and directing strength, not emasculation. Boys should learn that manners are a way to show and receive two terms that they instinctively understand and, and cling to. Those are honor and respect. Boys have an innate desire for respect, but honor cannot be understood without authority and obedience. Authority for boys comes in at least two forms. One is the bossy kind that badgers a boy into grudging compliance and therefore resentment. The other kind of authority actually liberates males. I've told this story a number of times. In fact, I'll tell it right now about my high school football coach who had been named Marine of the Year and he told us to dress up in our helmets and shorts without pads after we lost the first game of the season. We ran and crabbed, that's on all fours, ladies, up and down the field, and crabbed and ran for two hours. And then we ended with uh, heats around the track, and the person who lost the heat got to go to the locker room. Now think about that psychology. Uh, we never lost another game that season. Uh, this is something that, that is important for boys. Uh, I would never, after bragging about that experience, I would never brag about my older sister badgering me into picking up my dirty underwear off the bathroom floor. When boys are subject to authority that understands masculinity and communicates Effectively, they thrive and they do not become resentful. Authority is closely allied with the concept of responsibility. This is the kind of authority with which manners can help boys. The way to ingrain this is to help them to see that a real man has a distinct responsibility to honor, respect, and protect others, especially the other sex. Boys should not see manners as demands or even customs imposed upon them by women, but rather boys need to understand that manners are masculine responsibilities that parents teach boys for the sake of that honor and protection of women in general with whom men are supposed to live, to live graciously. With that respect of women as a basic standard of masculinity, that one woman with whom a man is joined by God for life takes on an even greater place of honor. 
So whatever happened to manners? Do we even know what they are? That whole concept of manners, of being ladies and gentlemen, seems to have gone the way of the beehive hairdo and brill cream. You know, I can't say why or how, but I suspect that one of the causes for this thoughts of these dismissal of the concept of manners comes from Hollywood. You know, we've all seen movies, seen pictures of these Elizabethan dances in which frilly, people in frilly clothes and powdered wigs bow to one another and dance around. And then we learn later in the movie that it's just a, a cover-up, a facade for, for lust and greed and manipulation. So we tend to throw out as hypocrisy any pretense that we might call manners. And I've got to admit that I've become a slouch in this area as well. For our purposes, we should focus on the manners that draw a distinction between the sexes. How about seating women at the table? How about letting them in through the door, holding the door open for them? How about this one, which you haven't seen for a while? Standing when a woman enters the room. Now, I understand that sometimes these things are difficult to, to, uh, to do, sometimes they're just impractical, but it helps us to understand the distinction. Uh, if we're intentional about them, men, we might find that things will go better at home. Uh, every once in a while, even I get it right. Uh, Christy and I were coming out of Walmart one time, and there was a young couple walking behind us into the parking lot. And I opened the door for Christy and let her in, and then I went around to my side and rolled my window down. And the young couple had gotten into the car next to us, and the, the young lady said, Sir, my husband saw what you did, so he did it for me. Thank you. <laughs> Who'd have thunk? <laughs> oh. There are other levels of manners, okay? And one is respecting the possessions and the comfort of others, like not putting your feet up on the coffee table or playing the music so loud that you disturb other people or you vibrate the whole neighborhood. Uh, granted, strict adherence to manners will probably not get you into heaven. However, they are ways to show honor to others and they are acts of love, albeit in small matters. Generally, boys are aggressive, oftentimes loud, occasionally obnoxious. At times, this boy's energy requires muting or restraint. Other times when aggressiveness is appropriate, like in sports and in military, manners and respect are still important in order to avoid being labeled a goon or worse, actual brutality. Steve Iliff and I uh, played on the rugby football team at KU. And there was this saying going around, which wasn't altogether true, but it was about the differences between the sports, okay? And so they said, American football is a ruffian sport played by ruffians. European football, soccer, is a gentleman's sport, but played by ruffians. Rugby was a ruffian sport played by gentlemen. Well, the reason I bring that up is because the word gentleman was known and used even in the 70s as it was declining in, in use. Well, now, we've gotten to the point, uh, the season in a boy's life, when things change. Up to this point, his natural self could generous, general, generously be described as obnoxious, 
but there was perhaps a faint hint that he was actually developing into an almost rational person. Still, he knew that a girl was something he was not, and probably unfortunately for many boys, a group that he not only would avoid, but a group he would love to gross out. So some of these, these girls were for some, for lack of a better word, just plain yucky. Then, seemingly overnight, his voice starts to crack and then deepen. He starts to bump into furniture without explanation. He starts spending hours at the mirror searching for facial eruptions and combing his hair every which way. You know, I had and have great older sisters, but they had their seasons of maturing as well. The Beatles first appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show when I was in fifth grade, uh, and my hair was combed up like in great late 50s and early 60s fashion. Uh, and watching that, I could not for the life of me figure out why those girls, if you ever want to see something crazy, watch the reaction of the girls when the Beatles first, first appeared. It was insane. I couldn't see why they were doing that. But then, over the next summer, something happened to me. And my sisters started to talk to me. And they convinced me to grow my hair out, my bangs down, and comb them down, just like John, Paul, George, and Ringo. And for the first time, it started to make sense. I actually subtly cared, maybe, about what girls thought. And this might be a way to get their attention. I was one of the first boys in my school to have long hair. The problem I faced was that I had curlier, wavy hair at the time. And the boys made, or the Beatles made long, straight hair popular. That was the style. So I spent hours in front of the mirror combing as hard as I could to straighten my hair and, and reverse my DNA. But when I failed, I took my, my, my sister's styling gel and used those great big clips to, to, to try to straighten my hair in front. I had a picture of it, but, but Larry couldn't get it to show. It's pretty bad. And then later on in my, my later 20s, when uh, my hair started to disappear, I oftentimes thought, you know, God probably said, you know, because you didn't like what the hair that I gave you. Yeah. Yeah. But this is a phase of life for boys that is very, very difficult because of all the physical and emotional changes going on. And certainly one of the causes of this discombobulation of a previously normal boy is likely one or more girls. Now, with this newly discovered and biologically driven interest, the basics all of a sudden are put to the test. Will he treat girls with honor and respect? Did he get the example and instructive discipline of a dad that requires him to extend that respect to mom and sisters? Without the ingraining of that general respect for females, then at this point in life, when the hormones will lead him on, they will result in sexual temptation with little restraint. This takes us back to the, the topic of manners as a way of life within the home. If he's an only child or he only has brothers, dad's respectful and honoring manners toward mom are really, really key. If he has sisters, doing those things like holding the door, allowing them to sit first and waiting for them uh, in different situations may seem trivial, but it is a constant reminder to growing males of the difference and the value of females. Again, I wish I had done more of that. On the other hand, if the newfound 
hormonal drive is left unchecked, it will likely degrade females in some way at some point. The goal is for him to know instinctively that females are never to be degraded. So manners are a very real kind of sexual discipline. If a growing boy learns how to honor all women, he is much less likely to try to degrade one in a dark corner at a party. And this has long-term consequences. God puts great emphasis on the sanctity of marriage and continuing the flames of sex within, or containing the flames of sex within the fireplace of marriage. And Hebrews 13 says, let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Are we so naive to think that, well, boys will be boys and uh, got to sow a few wild oats is just normal? And then expect them to actually keep their vows and remain faithful after the wedding ceremony? If honoring females in general is a foreign concept to growing boys, how can we expect them to do it with their wives? 1 Thessalonians 4 contains an exhortation to avoid sexual immorality. And in particular, each man is to control his own body in holiness and honor. Paul had to write that, write that because the sexual impulses of males is powerful. If this warning was necessary within a society with extreme neck-to-toe modesty, do you think it might be a bit more relevant today in our culture of skin and porn? So to avoid God's wrath, we are given fair warning. Paul goes on to say, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Jesus is not silent. He sets a pretty high bar. To lust is to commit adultery in the heart. I want to move on now. One of the signs of our time is the confusion of equality with sameness. And in speaking about labels or terms, feminism is a loaded word that evokes emotions which obscure reason. A preferable term might be women's rights or equality. It was Christianity that taught the equality of men and women before God within a culture that clearly treated women as inferior. Some of the good resulting from the biblical view of women is the right to own property, to vote, and more recently, to participate in sports, which is something in my large high school in Kansas City was not a possibility for girls just 50 years ago. Where the women's rights movement goes off the tracks is when these good movement results are used as supporting commands for the right to end the life of a preborn person, half of whom are females. That is pure illogic. But another self-destructive result of the equality equals sameness movement is the elimination of biblical honor for women. Peter makes clear in his discussion in his relationship in 1 Peter 3 that husbands are to live with their wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, that may sound insulting, but my take on this is that women are generally weaker physically and therefore more vulnerable to abuse. So I prefer the description more delicate vessel to convey the right notion. 
Peter is clearly not saying that women are inferior. As he continues the, the very same verse by stating that they share an equal destiny with men. Women are heirs with men of the grace of life. So this is a warning to physically stronger men to never use that strength to disrespect, threaten, or abuse the woman. Peter concludes the verse with the strong inference that failure to treat the woman as an equal image bearer of God will have a consequence that their, hair, their, their prayers may very well be hindered. Paul makes clear the application goes beyond wives in Galatians 3 when he says that there is no male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So when you take the whole counsel of, of, of Scripture, you see the Bible is emphatic that men and women are equal yet different. Therefore, those differences require men to start with global honor and treatment of women. By global honor, I'm saying I do not mean that women, uh, all women earn that honor, but rather this is how the Bible calls men to treat women generally. On the other hand, if one follows that culture to conclude that women are no different than men, then none will deserve that special honor, or at least they will not receive that global honor by men. Uh, if this is hard for you to hear, consider this. You know, there have been many advances for women in certain areas like employment and sports and several others. Uh, what about the way that women are viewed by men in our current culture? It seems that after decades of this developing sameness concept, which has crept into the women's movement, can you say with a straight face that men generally view women better today? I think if we take an honest look at it, we'll find that far more females in their relationship with males are treated with less honor, less respect, as objects of male gratification, or like what you would choose behind the glass at a local meat market, also known as singles bars. There was a cigarette uh, designed uh, specifically to share cancer with women in the 1970s. And the ad said, you've come a long way, baby. Unfortunately, in some areas, in the wrong direction. I've got to remember that we're talking about the culture here. It would be easy for parents to tune out, thinking, you know, my kids are in church, they're in a Christian school, or they're homeschooled, so this won't happen here. Please don't make the mistake of assuming that this is just a problem for public school kids. I have heard from those in a position to know that the culture of pornography and casual hooking up prevalent in our social media has crept into the Christian schools. Some of, some of those boys there lack respect for their female classmates. And you homeschoolers should understand that your sons have just as much access to this stuff as those boys do. You know, we used to say, you know, if you wouldn't invite a drug dealer or a pimp or a prostitute into your, your house to go into your son's or daughter's room for a visit, why would you allow that same communication through the television in your living room? Well, nowadays, that indoctrination goes directly into the eye and the ear gate of teens, and parents have no idea what's going on. Back to boys here. More than learning a lesson on plumbing, Boys need to learn what God's Word says to them, uh, to these creatures that Doug Wilson describes as, quote, bundles of testosterone on feet. 
Please also do not mis- make the mistake that an all-peer Bible study is providing accountability for boys. That peer accountability is at best just exhortation to stop watching the porn from others who, are, who may very well be doing the same. Parents would know that it's time for a sabbatical from the internet uh, and a review of Jesus' words that lust is the equivalent of adultery in the heart. Uh, looking at red flags, uh, you, this is going beyond the internet. In the old days, it was Playboy and Penthouse. Uh, there is the pitfall of actual sexual engagement. Uh, parents have to balance on a very narrow beam. They want their son to learn to interact with girls properly and, in most cases, get married. Uh, they also want their son to avoid the traps of the world detailed in the Proverbs by the strange woman. Christian parents tend to think that all kids in the youth group are good kids from good families, and that's generally true, but not universally. But there's one thing that's true of all youth groups, uh, is it's a plentiful supply of girls to which boys find themselves attracted by the way God made them. And this attraction is natural, and it's what keeps our species going, but it's also why the Bible contains warnings and boundaries within marriage. Rather than just assume that all is well among Christian youth, parents must watch for these red flags. The fact that a youth knows what's going on in the culture, they're street smart or they're hip, is not a protective virtue. So, if a 14-year-old son says, is, is regularly consuming worldly music or movies, he is being seduced. He may reassure his mom that he can handle the R-rated movie showing at his friend's home because it's the stuff that they look at all the time. And this is what the great sages of antiquity called a lie. Watching sexual sin will arouse him no less than the harlot entices the young fool in the Proverbs. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Now, exposure to the young man may give him a false sense of mature sophistication and self-control, but an opportunity presents itself to experience just a little taste of that same fare for himself when he finds himself alone with a cute, developing girl. Another red flag is when the son wants to spend inordinate amounts of time away from the family. But remember, when he's away, his lusts stay with him while he's on the screen or with friends. Another is lying. Now, this may start before there's any immorality involved, but it sets the stage for things to happen. He may say that he is saving himself for marriage, or he takes the true love weights pledge. So mom assumes all is well. Now, this may involve, however, a somewhat legalistic approach to the letter of the truth. His definition of sexual relations may mimic that of a former president. The question becomes just what is the boy saving for marriage? One really unexpected situation to watch out for is when a boy from a Christian home meets a young lady who is emotionally needy. Now, when she was younger, perhaps her own father did not provide the affection, the affirmation, the security that she needed, and her father's not protecting her now. And the boy may start to feel like he needs to provide some of that that her father's not giving. Uh, He needs to minister to her, maybe even witness to her if she's an unbeliever. And 
when she responds positively, he may get a savior mentality. He may start thinking that he can be her protector, but he lacks the discernment to understand the emotional and sexual undercurrents that are very, very subtle. He is mysteriously drawn to this needy girl. And what started out as a well-intentioned ministry may just end up in the backseat of a car. Another flag is resentment at restrictions when parents see problems developing. And parents can convey, they, well-meaning, but they can convey that Christians are anti-sex, even though God gave us marital sex as a gift. But we can often bring a reaction because we simply lay down the law without explaining the reasons for the command, like, you know, God's Word said His best is in marriage unity and oneness. Biblical men honor and respect all females, even those who don't know what that honor is, even those who are looking for emotional connection and affection from the Son. Boys and girls need to understand the importance of waiting for God's chosen one for him or her. So, this is a, help your son to see, that this is a bit like a mom who says, "Uh uh-uh, when he ambles over to the pantry to grab a couple of Twinkies right before dinner. Because she knows she's made a great meal for him, and she does not want his hungry impatience to ruin what is best. Parents need to help their sons and daughters to say no to anything that would take away from any of the maximum joy, the excitement, the purity, and honor of the marriage bed. Janis Joplin was a singer who famously belted out in the 1960s, take another little piece of my heart now, baby. And that's a surprising, ac- surprisingly accurate description of what happens when the unmarried fall into the alluring trap of sexual immorality. Each time another piece of one's heart is given away means that there is that much less to be given at the altar. I don't know where Janice was on the inside in her head when she died of a heroin overdose at 27. Popular media reports that she used her music to make sense of painful feelings after adopting a lifestyle of sensual, self-indulgent, and impulsiveness. It may be that what Janice really died of was a heart that was shattered into pieces. Proverbs 31 tells us about the virtuous woman. It says that an excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Notice it didn't say all the days of her marriage. So, young ladies, when do all the days of your life begin? Can you save yourself for that young man who you don't even know? Young men, do you really think this only applies to females? If you want her whole heart at the altar, will you save your whole heart for her before you know who she is? Now, much of what we looked at today is really difficult to implement probably impossible in our own strength and weaknesses. It's countercultural, 
but yet it's biblical. So I hesitate to call anything a silver bullet because it implies that we can do things that only the Spirit of God can do. But what sons and daughters really need for any hope of success is to first be humble enough to see, to know that they are not just fallible, that we all make mistakes, but they're sinners just like the rest of us. They need God's mercy and grace to satisfy the judgment that can only come from a holy and a righteous God. They simply need to accept the free gift of that payment for that sacrifice of the sinless Christ on the cross, which can only come from a merciful, gracious, loving, and forgiving God. This past week, some of you may have heard a radio interview, I think it was by Jim Dobson, with uh, uh, a young lady and her husband and an older couple. Young woman... This, this young woman was sold into pornography by her parents. And then she was trafficked until she was rescued by this older couple. Uh, the husband of the couple was the first man that she could trust in her lifetime. Along came a godly young man, and when it became serious, she disclosed her shameful past. And he expressed his forgiveness for her because God had forgiven him of his sins. So now they have a ministry to help women being trafficked find that forgiveness. Our kids must know that they cannot earn God's mercy and grace by their works. If they could, it wouldn't be mercy and grace. As Paul said, it's not of works, so nobody can boast. Once they repent and accept that free gift, then they have the Holy Spirit to guide them in the difficult task of life, knowing he is always there to pick them up when they stumble and fall, and with repentance to remove debilitating guilt with forgiveness. So for sons and daughters to have that assurance does not require their, does not require their parents to have it as well, but it really helps. So... If you do not know that you have that assurance as a young person, as a parent, a grandparent, or a relative of a young person, I invite you to ask yourself, is there any reason that you should not accept that free gift, become assured of your position with Christ today? If you're in that category, please talk to one of the leaders here or somebody you know and trust as a committed believer. Talk to them about making that life-altering decision that only you can make for yourself. It is vital first to know where you are headed after this life. It is also vital that you be a guiding light of that assurance to the young people and others who are watching. Uh, please stand as the worship team comes up and we're going to recite something I think is generally applicable in all these different situations. All right, together. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus.